tales of horror. As the sleepless hours tick past, brace yourself for the No Sleep Podcast. about this crazy worldwide pandemic going on these days? <laughs> Wild, huh? I guess a lot of folks are staying home most of the time. Well, if you find yourself stuck inside on Halloween this year, there are a couple of things for you and any wee kitties who are craving Halloween treats in lieu of trick-or-treating. The first is a special podcast created by our own Aaron Lillis. Erin realized that a lot of kids aren't going to be scouring their neighborhoods for candy this Halloween, so she wanted to give them some audio treats. She's put together a horror podcast for kids called The No Nap Podcast. Hmm, that name sounds oddly familiar. It features a lot of voices you know from No Sleep and other fiction podcasts, and a lot of familiar writers. The show will present a whole bunch of bite-sized, spooky stories appropriate for children. Of course, as parents, you might want to screen the stories first, just to make sure the nightmares are kept to a minimum. But otherwise, this podcast would make the perfect Halloween evening treat for everyone's ears. It comes out on Halloween, and you can find a link to it in the show notes. The No Nap Podcast. Ghastly fun for all ages. The second option on Halloween is to join the No Sleep Livestream. We'll be live streaming on our YouTube channel on Saturday, October 31st. We have an original live script we'll be doing. We may do one or two classic Halloween live scripts. And myself and a bunch of the team will be hanging out and sharing spooky stories, laughs, undoubtedly some rude jokes, and eating copious candy corn. Times and more details to come, but if you have an internet-connected device handy that day, you'll be able to join in the fun. We're at youtube.com slash the no sleep podcast official. So even if you're inside on Halloween, we hope you can still enjoy the spirits of the season. And speaking of spooky stories, we have some coming right up. Now, let's begin our journey down this lost highway. In our first tale, We're abruptly woken from our slumber by a shrill ringing. We've all been there, safely away in the land of nightmares, when suddenly you're rudely awoken by a friend who needs help urgently. But in this tale, shared with us by author P.L. McMillan, what starts out as a ride home turns into a ride through terror. Performing this tale are Sarah Thomas, Jessica McAvoy, Kaya Lakers, Mike Delgadio, and Aaron Lillis. So take care of your friends, sure, but maybe take notice of their behavior. Is something up? 
It can be hard to tell on a simple phone call. I woke with a jolt, scrambling around for my phone to turn off the alarm. It took me a second to realize that my phone was ringing. It wasn't my morning alarm. My eyes stung from the brightness of the screen as I squinted to read the time. It was 3 a.m., and it was an unknown caller. Hello? Leah? Leah? Katie? Is that you? Katie was my closest friend since I'd moved here for college. Leah, I need you to come get me. Please, Leah, I'm scared. I leaned over and turned on my bedside table lamp, blinking some more in this more encompassing light. What happened? Where are you? I'm by the old Wade Cemetery at a payphone. I I lost my phone in there somewhere, and I won't go back. Don't make me go back there. I was struggling to gather my thoughts, rubbing my forehead and stifling a yawn. No one is making you go anywhere, I promise. Uh, Why are you there? It's the middle of the night. I came here with Drew. He had this crazy idea for his midterm project and wanted to do a photo shoot with me in the cemetery at night. He said, I don't know, that it was key to the tone of his project or some shit. But please, Leah, you have to come get me. Why can't Drew drive you home? What happened? I was equal parts frustrated with how dramatic Katie was being and nervous that something serious may have happened. He... He's in there. Among the stones. We aren't alone. Started off fine. The moon was out and everything was so bright, like silver. Then the clouds came. I pulled back the curtains and looked up at the sky, where a fecund moon hovered above the rooftops, casting a bright veil over all things. Katie's voice dropped to a shaky whisper, as though she were trying to remain unnoticed. It was dark, and it got so cold. It's still so dark here, Leah. I'm shivering. I wanted to go home, but Drew wouldn't leave. He said he needed his perfect shot. Begged him to take me home, that I would come back tomorrow if that's what he wanted, but he was acting so weird, like a stranger. I already knew that I would end up going to get her, so I let her talk, pulling on some jeans and a sweater. It kept getting darker. It shouldn't be this dark. And Drew kept taking pictures, and the flash was blinding me. He wouldn't listen to me. I begged him to stop, but I couldn't see him, just the flashes. Okay, Katie. And you said you're just outside the cemetery? Where is the payphone? Can you tell me a street or something? Help narrow things down. I grabbed the keys for my beat-up Camry and reached down to pull a pair of sneakers from under a bulging bag holding even more bags. Then the flashes stopped, Leah. That was so much worse. The darkness was complete, and I could hear him breathing. But he wouldn't answer me. I was too scared, so I ran. It's a small cemetery. It's so small, I knew I had to be able to get out. I ran and ran. I should have bumped into headstones, but there was nothing there. Nothing. 
Katie, can you just chill a bit with the theatrics? I'm on my way, okay? I'll be there in like ten minutes. Just stay by the payphone. I shook my head, jogging down the concrete stairs from the fifth floor to the first. Honestly, I'm surprised you even found a payphone. Didn't they get rid of all those old things? It's getting lighter here. Is it almost morning? I stepped out into the cold night air and shivered as I looked at the sky over the buildings opposite. Um, sure. I guess it's getting close to morning. It seemed almost blasphemous to break the calm of the pre-dawn silence. The beep of my car as it unlocked was ear-piercing. I dropped in and blasted the heat, pulling away from the curb as quietly as I could, one hand on the wheel and the other still holding the phone. I could tell she was close to crying from the way her voice was breaking and catching. Yeah, babe, just hold on. Your nice, warm ride is on its way. Seriously, though, you need to stop hanging out with Drew. I've told you this a million times already. He's a jerk. She didn't reply. There was no sound but the hum of my car tires on the pavement and the crack of my jaw as I yawned again. Sure. It saves me the 20 minutes to drive you home then. I have a class at 7 this morning, you know. I pulled onto Baker Street. Ahead, a streetlight flickered over a large iron sign, Waits Cemetery. I slowed to a crawl, turning to scan one side of the street, then the other. Do you see me? I'm on the street now. The cemetery is up ahead. Where are you? Keep going. Can't you see me? I'm here at the payphone. It's so dark, but I can see a store across from me. I think it's a Chinese restaurant. I leaned forward against the steering wheel. The street was pretty dark, that was for sure. The only light was the one flickering above the cemetery entrance. I slowed to a stop in front of the cemetery gates. Katie, honey, can you just come here to the entrance? I can't see where you are. Just come here where the streetlight is. I'm right here. <laughs> Something slammed into the side of the car, rocking it on its wheels. Before I could react, the passenger side door was jerked open, and Drew fell into my car, scrambling to close the door behind him. He locked it and turned to me with wild, rolling eyes. Thank God, Leah. Thank God. Drive. Drive. Drew, what the hell? Get us out of here, Leah. Drive! If you want to go home, why don't you just drive yourself, you asshole? Now stop screaming at me or get out of my car! Please, Leah, we have to get out of here. Katie, she, she, something happened. I realized I still had the phone pressed to my ear and I could hear silence. I lowered it. The call had ended. Dude, you left her out here in the middle of the night. What is wrong with you? You don't understand. We, we were out here doing a photo shoot... As soon as we were inside, Katie got super weird. She dragged me into the oldest corner and pointed out a gravestone. She said it was someone from her family. I thought I thought it would be cool to shoot her on top of the stone, like a generational statement. Then a cloud covered the moon, and when it passed, she was shaking. Her eyes turned up to the sky, but completely black. She kept shaking. I tried to grab her to stop her shaking, and she attacked me. 
He turned the other side of his face to me, where his skin had been slashed open from temple to right nostril, his right eye nothing but a seeping wound. Drew turned away, clutching his hands to his chest. But... but she called me. She called me from a payphone out here begging to be picked up. Not her. It's not her. Not her. It's not her. He was rocking back and forth. It may have been a trick of the shadows, but it looked like a wet chunk fell from his face to the floor mat. I shuddered. Maybe she's back to normal. She's on her way. I'm taking her home. The rumble of the car gearing up was thunderous in the quiet night. My headlights flashed on, highlighting something hulking and dark directly in front of the car. I jerked the car into reverse and jammed my foot against the pedal. I remembered Katie and eased off the gas, coasting to a stop, then applying the brakes. The thing was gone. What are you doing? What are you doing? We need to go! I can't leave without Katie! You idiot! You saw her! She was just there! Drive! 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 I reached down and grabbed my phone. We can't just leave her here! Leah? Let me in. Unlock the door, please. Leah! Katie! Oh, thank God. Your asshole boyfriend is here, and he's gone batshit crazy. We need to get him to a hospital. Drive, Leah. Drive before it's too late. Drew was scrabbling at my arms, leaving streaks of crimson over my white sweater sleeves. I leaned away, trying to shrug out of his grip. Please, Leah. It's so cold and dark. I hit the auto unlock button and heard the car locks disengage. Drew heard them too. He shrieked, a sound unlike anything I had ever heard from a human in my life. A shadow fell over the passenger side door. Drew reached for the handle, but it was pulled open. Katie? A flash of darkness and a rush of foul, rotten air. A frigid wave of dark intent. Drew clawed at the dashboard, at the seatbelt, as he was ripped from the car. I stared at the scarlet streaks he left on my car's dash, too afraid to see what was towering over the right side of the vehicle. I took my foot off the brake and stabbed it onto the gas. I was still in reverse. My right car door clipped something that was immovable, mammoth. I couldn't react fast enough to take my foot off the gas. I was frozen. My car spun around and rear-ended the brick wall that surrounded the cemetery. Stars erupted as my airbag deployed. Darkness enveloped me, along with the thick musk of a nearby beast. An iron grip on my shoulder, and I was pulled out of the car. I clawed at the creature. No! No! Stop! No! Let go! Let go! No! No! Miss! Miss! Settle down! You've been in an accident. Hands grabbed my wrists, twisting them painfully to the side. I stared up into a bright morning sky and the face of a fat, balding man. A shorter woman stood slightly behind him, clutching a phone to her ear. Yes, yes, she's conscious. No, I'm aware you're not supposed to move an accident victim, but we were afraid the car was going to explode. It's leaking. Where is it? Where did she go? Where did who go? You were alone in the car, miss. Are you okay? How many fingers? He let go of my left wrist long enough to shove four stout fingers into my face. In my car, my phone began to ring. 
My head was spinning, but I managed to jerk away from him and scramble to my car. The driver's side door was still open. My phone was laying on the floor mat. Its display showed an unknown number. Hello? Leah? What happened last night? What happened to you? I'm here, Leah. I'm waiting for you. I'm at your apartment. Come meet me. I dropped the phone. The ambulance pulled up. On my clothes, I could still smell it. The reek of the beast. As the paramedics dropped to their knees beside me, I lost it. mornings. A familiar sight for those of us who stay up through the night, but a rude awakening when they're the start of your day. Sometimes, though, if you have a long journey ahead of you, then getting up in the twilight hours makes a lot of sense. But in this tale, shared with us by author Dagan Strong, we discover that the darkness of the morning can hide as many evils as the darkness of the night. Performing this tale are Matthew Bradford, and Jeff Clement. So pack a bag, grab some water for the road, and get ready to set out. At least, until you discover why I don't drive at night anymore. I don't drive at night anymore. At least, I don't drive anywhere that isn't very well illuminated. I know that sounds silly, and trust me when I say that my friends tease me to no end about it. They're the types that love going out for late-night cruises out around the outskirts of town and to go stargazing. Both activities that I, too, enjoyed once. That was until that one night. After that, I couldn't bring myself out of the light ever again. It was about a year ago in late July... I was living in a small town at the time in northern Alberta, staying there to get the most out of the cheap community college and low rent. I just finished my finals and was looking forward to visiting family out west for my week-long vacation. It wasn't exactly a short trip, a total of four hours at least just to even get to the next town over. To get to where my parents were was an additional six hours of travel. Driving through Alberta isn't exactly exciting either. Not unless you enjoy wide open spaces and a lot of empty fields, at least. It was about 4 a.m. when I got into my car. The bright idea to leave early that I had had the previous night was now leaving me bleary-eyed and full of regret. I headed over to the closest gas station and stocked up on the usual road trip supplies. Energy drinks, chips, pretty much anything that looked good at the time. The coffee I had brought with me was starting to kick in and I began to look forward to at least the first few hours of the trip. That was typically how it was with long car rides for me. The first few hours were great and relaxing, with the rest of the trip just slowly getting worse as I got those fun cramps or stiffness in the body from sitting for so long. 
Before heading out of the city, I checked my phone, queuing up my playlist of music that would keep me company, and double-checking my route out of the city on Google Maps. Damn. A red bar sat halfway between me and where I was heading. Construction ahead. Expected delays, 45 minutes. Great. That was just my luck that the main road itself was getting work done, but there wasn't anything I could really do about that. Finally pulling out of the gas station, I headed out, starting my long journey. The music pulsed through the speakers as the light pollution of the city slowly faded behind me and the night sky grew even brighter. There was a full moon out that night, and one that complemented the sea of stars quite nicely too. That helped raise my mood a bit, and I soon got lost in thought as I cruised down that dark road. After about an hour of driving down the open highway, the sky seemed to quickly darken, the moon becoming obscured, and the illuminated plains around me fading away to inky black. The only things that were visible now outside of my headlights were different twinkling lights off on the horizon and the city lights far behind in my rearview mirror. The lights ahead pulsed between orange and red with the occasional flash of a vehicle's headlights. That had to have been construction, I figured. It was another joy of driving out in these flat areas. You were able to see practically a full hour ahead of you in advance and just really take in all that excitement. At night, without the moon's glow, it was a much different feeling than boredom though. It kind of felt like you were driving through space itself. A massive black expanse all around you, with only the different bits of light off in the distance showing any real signs of life. Almost as though the night sky itself had dripped down and enveloped the ground below. I cursed and shielded my eyes as someone passed me with a set of far too bright to be legal headlights night vision being lost immediately. By the time I could actually see again, thankfully having not flown off the road, everything that wasn't in my headlights was just pitch black now. The edges of my car's headlight beams didn't seem to extend very far out either. And because of this, I almost missed a pair of cars that were off to the side of the road, hazard lights going on and off to try to warn me in advance. I slowed my vehicle to try to get a better look in case they needed any help. But as I passed, I didn't see anyone in the vehicles themselves. Neither car appeared to be damaged either. Weird. Maybe the owners had car problems and had hitched a ride back to town until a tow truck could come and retrieve the vehicles. I couldn't really give much better of a guess than that, so I continued on, not wanting to rubberneck any more than I already had. The darkness at this point had become rather oppressive. I noticed that outside of my beams of light, it was now just a solid black wall, like it just cut off immediately with no glow or anything. I had to slow my speed to half just to be safe. While trying my best to stay on the road, I must have completely forgotten about the construction zone, for when an orange pylon appeared out of the darkness, I hit the brakes. I must have missed the warning signs due to the weird blackout, but this was obviously the start of the construction zone. With due diligence, I crawled through the area, trying to catch sight of any workers or, really, any signs of life. That was when I realized that there should have been some kind of life around here. I had already seen their lights on further back down the road, but now as I drove through, there wasn't a single piece of equipment that seemed to be turned on in any way. Excavators sat abandoned, doors wide open without an operator inside. 
floodlights had been knocked over or otherwise turned off in some other manner. Things quickly went south from there. I was about halfway through when I finally saw someone. A prone body lay face down on the side of the road, only half of the person visible from my car. I stopped the vehicle, wondering what he was doing at first as it looked like he had his ear to the ground. Eventually, I realized that he must have been unconscious, so I put the car in park, turning on my phone's flashlight and the car interior light before getting out to add as much extra light as I could to the area. The moment I stepped out of the car, I could feel a very stark difference in the air. It was supposed to be the middle of summer, yet I could almost see my breath. Hey, buddy, you okay? My voice held an odd echo to it that had no right to be there. I shined my flashlight over him as I got closer, before quickly stumbling back. Jesus Christ. I practically sprinted back to my car, throwing myself inside and slamming the door behind me. Panicking to find the lock button, my fingers hit it and I tried to stop myself from hyperventilating. The lower half of that man's body had been eaten. Past his stomach was nothing more than bits of gore and viscera that had been strewn out across the road. It, it looked like something had just ripped into him and left the rest to rot. I pulled up my phone and tried to call for help, but I had no bars. I must have been too far to get any signal. It wasn't like I could do anything to help the poor man from here, so I pulled the car out of park and continued out of the construction site. I spotted a few more bodies in varying conditions as I tried to make my way out. And that was when I saw it. Just as I turned a corner, my headlights illuminated something that was hunched over another worker. It almost looked like a person, but it was far too dark. And it was incredibly thin, spine jutting out of its back as it faced away from me. When it turned in response to the light, it covered its malformed face with a massive hand that ended in sharp, ragged claws, pinprick wide eyes glaring at me from the shadows of its hand. It let out a shriek and bounded off into the darkness. At that point, I slammed my foot down on the gas and floored it out of there, having to swerve once or twice to avoid the abandoned equipment. Eventually, I rocketed out of the sight, going far too fast but unable to slow down. In my rearview mirror, I could see them, a collection of white eyes that trailed along behind me in the distance. The creatures didn't make any sound, but I could tell they were getting closer, little by little. I must have had at least some luck that night, since when I made my way over the next hill, I, I could see off in the distance a gas station that was still lit up, a beacon of light in the sea of darkness that surrounded me. I managed to get to it in only a few minutes, my tires screeching across the pavement as I came to a halt directly under the gas area. The darkness was like a wall all around it, but I had a clear path to get inside the building. Taking a deep breath, I escaped my vehicle and sprinted up to the glass door. When I got to it, the attendant inside was already unlocking it and pressing a button on the side to power it on, letting it open enough to get me in before he closed it again with a lock in place. Are you alright? I stumbled away from the door, trying to put distance between me and the numerous windows that covered the front wall of the station. I felt vulnerable. There in that little store, the panes of glass being the only thing between us and all that darkness outside, just waiting for the lights to go out. I started to try and explain to him what I'd seen, when outside the bulbs began to blow one by one around the top of the gas station, with the darkness encroaching closer and closer until it was pressed up against the windows, 
What little light was left inside didn't seem to phase them at all now. Through the glass, I could see them again, small sets of white eyes dipping in and out of the darkness. The attendant backed away from the glass. What the fuck is going on? The first crack appeared on the window, the tip of a clawed hand pressing into the glass. Yeah, I don't know, just help me barricade this. I started shoving the shelves towards the front of the store. The glass held long enough for us to get a sort of half wall set up, but I knew it wouldn't hold them back forever. Is there a security room or somewhere else we could go to hide in here? In the back room. It's small, but it should fit us both. We got into the security room and shut the door, sliding the heavy lock into place before settling in. The room was small, but well illuminated, with a row of six TV screens showing different camera angles from around the building. Four of them were completely blacked out, with only two left that were inside the store itself. One was positioned in the main lobby, and the second was pointed just outside our door. Only a few minutes after we had entered the security room, the front window shattered. We only got to see a couple of seconds, but we watched the shelves get pushed aside before the interior went completely black. Now all of the cameras were dark, and when the single bulb above us started to flicker, I turned on my phone's flashlight just in case, the door being sealed along the bottom so there weren't any cracks for whatever this thing was to filter in through. We sat there in silence for a time, neither of us brave enough to break it in fear of attracting unwanted attention. Then came the sound of scratching, which eventually led to a chorus of low whispers just outside of our door. They sounded like normal people, and if it wasn't for what I had already seen, I might have thought that we were being rescued. But their voices were too low, and underneath their pleas for us to come out, I could get that sense of danger just on the edges of it. Like if we didn't comply, there would be consequences. I don't know how long we were forced to sit there and listen to the scratching and whispers. The TV monitors eventually came on, one by one, as the darkness seemed to recede, the sky a pool of red and orange that signaled sunrise. We waited until the sun was well above the horizon before opening the door slowly and taking our first steps outside. The store was trashed, glass everywhere along with what looked like hundreds of footprints that had trampled across the merchandise. My car appeared untouched, and I got it running again after the police arrived to aid the attendant. I still don't know what I saw that night. I don't think I ever will. But I think that's for the best, as there are some things that should probably stay in their darkness. siblings. Is there anything better than having a brother or sister? Not when you have a close bond and create content with them, at least. And following in the footsteps of my brother, my brother and me, and two scared siblings, we're introduced to another relative show. But in this tale, shared with us by author T. Takeda Wise, 
This brother-sister duo end up in a terrifying situation that familial love alone can't overcome. Performing this tale are Jesse Cornett, Nicole Goodnight, Aaron Lillis, Atticus Jackson, and Graham Rowett. So let's join Frank and Lee as we head to Allentown. We're sure to solve some mysteries there, but will we solve the biggest mystery of all when we ask, whatever happened to the Frankly Folklore podcast? Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Frankly Folklore Podcast. It's me, your host, Frank. And, of course, Lee. Hey, everyone. So, tonight, my friends, tonight, we have something very special for you planned. That's right. We're diving deep into our own local lore. Now, this is something that's been highly requested by a lot of you, so we decided, what the hell? We might as well give the people what they want. As most of you know, both Frank and I have lived in Corinth, New York for basically our whole lives. Not much happens around here, unless you really like hiking or camping. Or cornhole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or that. Uh, but we're not here to tell you about Corinth or Cornhole. We're here to tell you about another stranger place. Allentown. From the first episode we mentioned it, you guys have been asking for more. So, here it is. More. Now, we've discussed some of the stories surrounding Allentown before. Stories about cannibals and witches and satanic sacrifices and strange rituals and... Well, possibly the most shared one, that the whole town is entirely populated by just one big inbred family. And apparently, this family doesn't appreciate outsiders because a whole lot of people have gone missing around this area. All unexplained. All unsolved. Recently, yet another hiker has vanished, a young woman. Now, I'm not saying her disappearance has anything to do with Allentown, but it is curious that so many folks go missing around here. <sighs> what? Stop looking at me like that, Lee. I don't know. I just think it's a little... disrespectful to her family, Frank. Disrespectful or not, it's just bad timing. We've been planning this for months. Yeah. True. Well, anyway, there's a whole lot of strange and spooky tales about Allentown, all of which you can hear more of on our other episodes. Tonight, though, we're not just going to tell you about Allentown. We're going to show you. Well, at least, sort of. Dun, dun, dun! That's right, folks. As those of you who watch our podcast may have noticed, we're not in the usual recording-slash-filming location. For those of you just listening in, Lee and I are currently way out in the middle of nowhere in my trusty car. The sun is setting, the moon is near full, and we're about to go explore. And all of this will be directly streamed into your eyes, or through your ears, with our brand new GoPro. <laughs> Lee isn't too pleased about it. I mean, I wouldn't mind looking around, it's just... Why do you insist on us doing it at night? 
And now, with that lady missing? Dangerous, if you ask me. Right, guys? Feel free to comment in the live chat below. Though, bear in mind, we probably aren't going to be looking at it too often tonight. And we have to give the people what they want, Lee. Besides, the witches, the cannibals, those inbred freaks, and the man-eaters only come out at night. Now, lace up your boots, grab the camera, let's go. So, we're in the woods right outside Allentown. For those of you just listening, the woods are dark, the trees are thick, and it's getting pretty damn hard to navigate through them. How you doing, Lee? Oh, you know, just scared shitless. Oh, don't be scared. People know we're out here. Nothing's gonna happen. And if it does, well, the people will know. Just so you guys watching or listening know, we decided to park off North Shore Road and walk, just in case. Yeah, that was my idea. I didn't think driving through or parking in Allentown was a great plan. I figured the ticket, if we end up with one, would be better than death. <laughs> yeah, I really don't want to be shot or anything by... Shh. Stop talking. Did you hear that? Sounded natural. Probably just a tree branch snapping or something. That didn't sound natural. It sounded like metal. Get a check. It's nothing, Lee. Come on, let's keep going. And turn your flashlight off. If someone is out there, they'll see you before you see them. <sighs> okay, fine, whatever. Just know that if we die, it's your fault. So, I don't know if you guys watching can see or not, but we're making our way towards the supposed ruins of an old house on the outskirts of Allentown. Do you even know where this thing even is? Of course I do. Due north. That's the direction we're walking. Okay, but how do you know that? You left your phone in the car. I'm using a compass, you idiot. Old school style. Now, for those of you just listening in, Lee is really struggling out here in these woods. You're such an ass, Frank. It's dark as hell out here, even with the full moon. Can't we use some sort of light? The night vision thing on here doesn't do much. I'm not even sure if it's really night vision. Can you guys watching even see anything? Hang on a sec, Frank. Let me check the chat. Oh, ha ha, very funny, you guys. What are they saying? They're fucking joking about how we're being followed by someone generally trolling us. I told you this would happen if we had a chat. Well, guess you guys are gonna see us die tonight. Don't say shit like that, Frank. It's not funny. You guys aren't funny either. There's no one following us. See? For those of you just listening, Lee is now wildly swinging the camera around, trying to convince everyone we're not being followed. I'm not swinging it wildly around. I'm panning nice and easy across the landscape. Okay, now they're saying we're being too loud and that we should talk quieter and that there's definitely someone hiding behind a tree watching us. Whatever, they're just trying to scare me. Thanks, guys. Come on, Frank, let's just get to that damn house and get this over with. You heard her, everyone. And we're going. 
So, Lee, what do you think we should do when we get to that house? Depends on what it looks like. Is it still standing? Burned down? Rotted away? I don't know. Everything I've read about it is probably just urban legend, you know? Still, they decided to live out here for all the fresh air or nature or something. Until one day... One day, they all disappeared. Oh, good timing. Shut up. They just disappeared? Like, vanished into thin air? I don't know. Probably just up and moved away. Got sick of the shit people on Allentown were pulling. Hey, look. Looks like we found that house. Holy shit. Guess it's still standing. Damn. Looks like it was built ages ago. All brick with a janky roof. Huh. That's weird. What? It looks too well kept. Doesn't it? I mean, like someone's cleared away all the weeds and brush around it, right? And look. There's a pentagram. I guess. But maybe a deer just, I don't know, ate it or something. Definitely doesn't look like someone lives there, though, and the pentagram is probably just graffiti. True. Well, we're here. What do you think, Lee? Should we go inside? Should we check the chat? <sighs> no, I don't want to know what everyone's saying. Let's just go inside and get it over with while I still have the courage. Come on. Smells like shit. Probably because someone or something shit in here. Or maybe an animal died. Should we look around? Yeah. Let's be careful, though. I don't want to fall through the floor or anything. Looks like there may be only one floor. You don't think there's a basement or an attic? Definitely no attic. Didn't look like there was one from the outside. Maybe there's a basement, but if there is... I sure as hell ain't going down there. Oh, well, look who's scared now. Shut up. <clears throat> hey, don't you think it'd be a good idea to sit up in here and tell some spooky tales about Allentown? Uh, no. Really? I mean, I guess we could, but screw that, honestly. And haven't we already told all the stories there are to tell? Well, I meant more about this place. Like what else? Like the story of what happened to the people who lived here, and then the people who came to investigate. I thought they just got sick of the folks from Allentown ostracizing them for not being related, so they moved away. That's what you told me, Frank. I might have lied. What the hell, Frank? Why? For dramatic effect? Okay, okay. I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Jeez. I'll tell you. It's not that bad. And, I mean, just like with all the other shit people say about Allentown, it's probably just an urban legend. Uh, aren't you the guy who always insists there's a grain of truth in all legend and lore? <laughs> well, well, yeah, but the grain of truth could be something as simple as these people just existed. I don't know. I'll tell you, and you can decide. <clears throat> so... Back in the day, a family of five lived here. That's true. There was a dad, and mom, and an older sister, and a middle brother, 
and a newborn baby. The dad made his living in carpentry, whittling things people of all sorts traveled for miles to buy. The mom was a homesteader. She kept bees and made cheese from the few goats they owned. The family lived happily for a while, maybe a decade and a half, until one day some out-of-towner stopped by for something or other and found them all cut up. Cut up? Chopped up. Dead. All five of them. Even the baby. That's ridiculous. I thought so too, until I did some digging. And? Well, they called the cops from a bigger town in to investigate, and they went missing. Poof. Gone. The cops? Yeah. Never heard from them again. That's the stupidest thing I've ever... What the fuck? Holy shit. Can you help me? It hurts. What the hell is wrong with your arm? I don't know. It hurts. Can you help me? Please help me. I've been trapped for weeks. They're close. They just let me. No, 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 no. Frank, let's go. Come on, run. Please stop. Stop, please. I need to catch my breath. See which way we're going. Can we fucking go? I want to go, please. Yeah, yeah. Now, just, just hang on a second. Holy shit. Like, what the fuck even was that? Was her head coming apart? Did, did she say she was trapped? Check the chat. See if people saw or heard it better than us. No, Frank, we need to call the police. Who cares about the stupid goddamn podcast? Let's go. Come on, just check it. Maybe they saw something we didn't. Are you serious? Is this some sort of sick joke to you? Is this a prank or something? No, it's not. Look, I swear to God, it's not, Lee. I have no clue what that was or who that woman was. You're right. Maybe we should call the police. Okay, but let's go first. Then we can call from the... Shh, do you hear that? It's a fucking clicking noise again. What is that? It sounds close. Frank, are you fucking with me? Please, please, please tell me if you are. No, I'm not fucking with you, Lee. I promise. Shh. Just listen. Look, over there. Do you see that? What's that? Flashlight? Hey. Hey. I can see you. Don't run. We could probably lose him if we ran fast enough. 
Which way is the car? That way? Hey, I can hear you. Don't move. I'm military. I just want to talk. Jesus, man. You preparing for the apocalypse or something? What the fuck are you doing out here? Where did you come from? Um, we could ask the same to you, sir. There's a woman over in that abandoned house. There's something wrong with her. People kidnapped her or something. Shut up, Lee. A woman? Yes. Yes. She was seriously hurt. Her leg was broken. Her fucking bone was sticking out. She looks crazy and sick or both. I don't know. Maybe a drug addict? Heroin? Meth? No, 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 no. It wasn't drugs. She didn't seem high or anything like that. She had she had some kind of black shit all up in her arm. Some sort of, of, of goo or a fungus or slime or something eating her arm away. Shit. Yeah, it was fucked up, man. Her head was like split open. Did you see anything else? Anyone else? No, man. We got the fuck out of there. The woman was asking for help. We... we... We shouldn't have left her. She needs help. She said she was trapped. Where was this? In the abandoned house over there. Like, I don't know, five or ten minutes that way? All right, hang tight. I'm gonna go check it out, see if it's clear. If it's not, I'll make sure it's clear. I'll come back, walk you to your vehicle. Can we just walk back while you're doing that? I... I wouldn't recommend it. What's that supposed to mean? Just stay here. I'll be back. What did he mean by make sure it's clear? Is he going to help that woman? And why the fuck is there an army dude waiting out here anyways? And why is he alone? And why does he have a camera and... A shotgun. I don't know. I don't care. I just want to leave. It looked like that woman was wearing hiking boots. You think she was that lady who went missing? I don't know, Frank. I just want to go. So what? Some guy in fatigues with a couple guns told us to stay? We don't even know if it was really military or some I am very badass loser. Let's just go. We can't do anything about him or that woman. We need to get the police. Should we check the stream or the chat, just in case? Seriously? That's what you care about, Frank? What the fuck? I just... You have got to be fucking joking. You know what? I'm done. Here, take it. You can fucking keep recording for all I care. I'm done. I'm leaving. Give me the keys. No. Frank? Give me the fucking keys, now! Lee, wait. It isn't safe. And not just because that guy told us to wait. I don't want to get hit by lightning, and I don't want you to either. Let's find a place with fewer trees, somewhere lower, and hunker down until it passes. Come on. How far are we from the car? I don't know. It took us... What, ten minutes, give or take, to walk to that house? So, we're probably pretty close. Then fuck it. Please, wait. It's too dangerous. We're surrounded by trees. 
No, Frank. I'm going. You can wait if you... That didn't sound like thunder. Shot her? He fucking shot her? Frank, we need to fucking go now! Please! Please, stop! Fucking stop! Please! Brand new GoPro. Awesome. Don't know if you guys can see or not. Hopefully, at least you can still hear me. Lee's gone. Hope to God she waits for me in the car. Are you kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? My car is gone! Well, everyone, I guess, my lovely sister, decided to run back to the car and leave my ass behind. Awesome. My goddamn phone was in the car. Someone's coming. Maybe it's Lee. No. It's a truck. Shit. Hey, buddy. You stuck out here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I am. Hey, you got a phone on you I can use? Nah, sorry. Don't want those microwaves scrambling up my brain cells. But there's one in town you can use. Come on, I'll give you a ride. Which town? Allentown. You live there? Born and bred. Now you coming or not? Can't wait around all night, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll come. Uh, thanks, man. Hey, are you filming? I don't want to be on camera. I don't condone it. I'll give you a ride, but you need to turn that off. Uh, no, the, the camera's busted. Man. You sure about that? It's not recording at all? I'm pretty sure. The screen's busted, man. Alright, we'll climb on in get you out of that rain. What are you doing out here so late? Uh, uh, hiking. Camping. You know. I see. You alone? No. Uh, my my sister was out here with me. She, uh, she got scared by the storm. She left you? Um, no. She, she just, uh, went into town to get some supplies. You don't sound so sure. Shit! Did you hear that? Hey, man. Why are you stopping? What are you doing, man? Hey, that's my property! Stop! I told you to stop recording! Your sister, that brunette in the Honda? How did you... You out here to spy on us? Think it's funny to call us freaks and harass us? Or mess with things you shouldn't be messing with? No. We were, we were just camping. 
When you're on a long journey down a lost highway, it's always good to plan ahead and stop for the night. You mustn't drive when you're tired. And aside from this being an important PSA, stopping off at roadside hotels can lead to exciting discoveries. But in this tale, shared with us by author Ben Lewis, we learn that some discoveries are more horrifying than exciting. Performing this tale, are Kyle Akers, Mike Delgadio, Ellie Hirschman, Jeff Clement, and Jessica McAvoy. So pay attention to the online reviews. Don't let the seemingly sedate locale lull you into a false sense of security. And whatever you do, follow the pool rules. Otherwise, you might meet the lover in the depths. My two favorite things have to be road trips and horror stories. So when my cousins in Maine invited me to come up and spend a week investigating the allegedly haunted sites of New England, I jumped at the chance. I even took a few days off from work to make the drive from Southern Virginia. It was going to be the best vacation I'd taken since the family beach trips we took when I was still in high school. Or so I thought. As I drove through Northern Pennsylvania, I turned off Interstate 81 near the New York border. I would be spending that night at the Wood Hollow Inn. While I easily could have driven several more hours, I wanted to get started on the ghost hunting a little early. While planning my trip, I did an internet search for haunted hotels in the Northeast and had been most intrigued by Wood Hollow. While the stories I read all varied in details, the gist was the same. The inn was haunted by the aggressive and vengeful spirit of a young woman who'd been driven to suicide. While the premise seemed a tad cliche, I preferred to think of it as classic. It couldn't hurt to check it out, right? The inn itself was nondescript and unassuming. I very easily could have stayed there during a previous summer road trip and completely forgotten it. Though I was disappointed that the place didn't have the Stephen King, Edgar Allan Poe feel I'd been expecting, the seemingly normal atmosphere of the place made the possibility of a malicious presence all the more exciting to my <laughs> warped mind. I rang the bell at the front desk and was greeted by a grandfatherly-looking man who I placed in his early 70s. Though his warmth seemed genuine when we spoke, there seemed to be something else behind those watery blue eyes. Something he was trying to suppress. 
or forget. He smiled as I gave him my name. Reservation for Jason Mills? Of course, of course. Here's your room key. Some information about our local restaurants and things to do. Uh, And a map of the area. He paused a moment, his smile fading slightly, as an inexplicable gravitas crept into his voice. His pale blue eyes held my gaze for several seconds, as though pleading with me to understand some unspoken message. Then the smile returned. And these are the rules for our pool. Please make sure you read them before you swim. If you need anything at all, I live in room number one. If I'm not at the desk, feel free to knock. Part of me had wanted to press the innkeeper about his strange emphasis on the pool rules, but a larger part of me was starving. At the moment, I just wanted to get some takeout in my stomach so I could begin exploring the place. Thanking the man, I ran to my second floor room and began scanning the pamphlets he'd given me for food options. While I flipped back and forth between the Thai and Italian menus, Grandpa's handwritten list of pool rules fell from the stack of papers he'd given me and landed on my lap. My curiosity momentarily outweighing my hunger, I turned the loose-leaf page over in my hand and read. There were four rules on the page. The first three were pretty standard. Number one, please shower before using the pool. Number two, no glass or alcoholic beverages in the pool area. Number three, no lifeguard, swim at your own risk. The fourth rule was different not only in nature, but because unlike the others, it was written in all capital letters. Number four, keep eyes closed while underwater. While sound advice, it seemed a little strange that it had to be a rule. And even more strange that it was apparently the most important rule. A rumble in my stomach caused me to shrug it off. Maybe the water was just super chlorinated and he didn't want anybody burning their eyes. I put the rules aside and dialed the number for the Italian place. It was hot in my room, not surprising for late summer. The pool actually sounded inviting. After placing my order, I threw on some trunks and decided to wait for my pizza poolside. Even though it was late in the day, I wasn't alone by the pool. There were a few girls in their later teens, early 20s, trying to catch the last meaningful rays of sunshine. Three kids, seeming to range in age from five to nine, loudly shrieked and splashed in the shallow end, while two middle-aged adults that I can only assume were mom and dad periodically looked up from their cheap vacation reading to bark a warning of some kind. Standing at the gate, watching it all with a sad smile, was the innkeeper. I found a vacant lounge chair near the center of the pool area, stretched out and just let the scene play itself out before me. I couldn't help but notice the same pool rules I'd been handed on my arrival, I can only assume the others had been as well, were posted in several places along the fence surrounding the pool. Each time the fourth rule, keep eyes closed underwater, was written in the same bold block capitals. Now I was intrigued. Why was that rule clearly the most important? Could it have something to do with the girl who supposedly haunted the place? I didn't remember reading anything about the pool and the stories online, but then again, you never can quite trust strangers on the internet. The more I thought about it, the more convinced I became that the rule wasn't just about high chlorine levels. A loud wail snapped me out of my thought process. One of the kids in the pool, a boy about seven, clutched his hands to his face, shrieking. My eyes! My eyes! Mom and Dad shared a sidelong, half-amused look and casually strode toward the commotion to help the poor bugger. The innkeeper was a different story. 
In mere seconds, he had cleared the several yards from the gate to the shallow water, lifted the boy out of the pool and now held him by the shoulders, desperately trying to make eye contact with the squirming child. What is it? Did, did something hit you? Something underwater? What did you see? You didn't open your eyes, did you? The boy stopped squirming and composed himself, though he looked as confused as I felt. I, I couldn't see anything. T -t Tommy splashed me in the eyes, and now they burn really bad. He started to cry again, just as Mom and Dad finally reached the end of the pool. He's fine, Mr. Haskins. We'll take him to the room, get him rinsed off, and he'll be good as new. Come on, kids. Who wants ice cream? I watched the look of relief spread first across Haskins' face, then his whole body. Like he had just been saved from a sudden and terrible death. With some effort, he straightened himself and cleared his throat. <clears throat> yes, well, just make sure the little ones keep their eyes closed in the pool. And that goes for all of you. Eyes closed in the water! Without another word, he strode off toward the office. That did it. I decided... Forgetting all my hunger and the soon-to-be-arriving pizza man, I headed after our strange host. It was time to get the story on this pool. As I entered the hotel lobby, I saw Mr. Haskins sitting on a plush red armchair, looking like he'd just run a marathon. Uh, Mr. Haskins? What's the deal with the eyes-closed-in-the-pool rule? He slowly turned to face me, as though he'd been too lost in thought to realize anyone had spoken. Not wanting to give him a chance to make something up, I jumped right to my suspicion. I've read that this place is haunted. Does it have to do with that? Is there someone or something in the pool? To my surprise and excitement, Mr. Haskins didn't laugh at me or look at me like I was a lunatic. Instead, he stood up from his chair and, after ensuring we were the only ones in the lobby, motioned for me to follow him into his room. Once inside, he had me take a seat at his small circular kitchen table. Making sure the door was locked behind him, he began the story. I've never seen her myself, obviously, but I've gotten far too many phone calls from people who have. People demanding to know who she is. People. People in all stages of madness. Haskins must have sensed my confusion as he sat down across the table from me. Now, the truth is, I don't know who she is. And I probably don't know much more of her story than you've been able to find. But I'll tell you all I can. The story goes that back in the 70s, shortly after they put the pool in, a young girl, maybe 22 years old, showed up at the hotel wearing a wedding dress. She paid for a night, but she wouldn't give the clerk her name, wouldn't tell him anything, other than that her lover was coming to pick her up that night so they could run off and get married. Classic story. Mom and Dad didn't approve, so she wouldn't give anyone any information that could tip her folks off before they could escape to happily ever after. Well, nobody is quite sure why, but her fella never showed. Story is that the manager went to clean the pool the next morning and found the poor girl floating, still wearing the wedding dress. With no ID, they had no way to send the body home. Coroner came to pick her up and... That was that. Or so they thought. A few years later, stories started going around that the girl's spirit haunted the pool. That if she managed to look you in the eyes, she'd attach herself to you, 
follow you around until she made you as crazy as her lost love made her. I had always believed in ghosts, and I loved a good story as much, if not more, than the next guy, but I struggled to keep the smile from my face as the story ended. Come on, man. You can't really believe in that, can you? Sounds like an amateur campfire story, or a bad ripoff of one. But there was no mirth in Mr. Haskins' face as he looked back at me. Not a trace. Like I told you, I've gotten the phone calls. The ones from former guests are bad. The ones from their family members are worse. The ones demanding to know what the hell goes on at this place. Who this woman their husband had seen was. Why their son or daughter can't stop rambling or screaming. Why mom kept insisting someone was following her. Mr. Haskins trailed off, physically shaking. After a moment or two, he composed himself, and a steel expression replaced the old one. Showing me to the door, he gripped my arm, his eyes pleading. Young man, I can't make you believe anything. But I can make the rules in this hotel. And you will keep your eyes closed in our pool. You must. I knew what I had to do. Around one in the morning, satisfied that everyone would be asleep, I slipped on my trunks and crept down to the pool. I was surprised, and a little more than creeped out to find that the pool light was still on. I tried to tell myself that Mr. Haskins had simply forgotten. It wasn't like someone was waiting for me. But with the way Haskins had obsessed over the pool, I really doubted it. My chest tightened as I waded into the cold water. I told myself I hadn't jumped in all at once to avoid waking anyone, but I had a hard time convincing myself of that either. My heart started pounding as the water reached chest level. I closed my eyes, took as deep a breath as I could, and submerged myself in the deep end. With more effort than I care to admit, I forced my eyes open and scanned the depths of the pool. Nothing. An intense mixture of disappointment and relief flooded me as I broke the surface for air. I dunked under a second time. This time, I saw it. At the far end of the pool. It looked like a large white mass with a black circle at the center. Like a black-haired girl swimming in a wedding dress. And it was moving closer. In a sheer panic, I launched myself out of the water and out of the pool. From the safety of the concrete, I stared into the water. There was nothing there. I don't know if it was belief or disbelief that compelled me to get back into that pool. Whether I'd convinced myself that my mind was playing with me, or that I needed more concrete evidence to relay to my cousins later. Whichever it was, I carefully lowered myself back into the deep end of the pool. Taking as deep a breath as I could muster, I submerged myself one more time. The figure was there again, closer this time, and closing pretty quickly. It was definitely a girl in a dress. She had her head down so I couldn't see her face, but the closer she got, the colder the water became. A moment later, she had come to a stop less than a foot from me. She slowly lifted her head. She was beautiful. Big, sad green eyes, porcelain skin, and full crimson lips. She reached out her hand, the coldest hand I'd ever felt, rested it on the side of my face, and smiled. It was the strangest thing, because even though I knew I had to have been underwater for well over a minute, I didn't feel myself needing a second breath. As long as I stared into her eyes, I was completely content. In an instant, her green eyes went completely black. Her smile became something predatory. As she opened her mouth wider, 
I could swear her teeth became more like fangs than any human teeth I'd ever seen. And then she screamed. A long, loud eardrum rupturing sound that was somehow completely unaffected by the water around us. A sound that shot dread through my soul. Beyond terrified, I leapt from the pool and sprinted to my room, not daring to look back. Locking the door behind me, I collapsed on the bed, my head spinning out of control, trying to process what had just happened. It hadn't been real. It couldn't have been real, but I knew it was. I knew I'd never get that face or that scream out of my head. It's all right. I'll shower, get some sleep, and be out of this place first thing in the morning. And as the hot water from the shower rinsed off the chlorine and sweat, I almost believed it. And then I stepped out of the shower. And there she was, in the bathroom mirror, eyes black as midnight, with that same predatory smile. There was no scream this time, just the smile. Like she knew something, I didn't. Like she owned me. And those eyes, black as they were, they seemed to burn directly to the core of my being. Like she could see every secret I ever had. And then she started to laugh. A cold, (laughs) hollow, chilling sound. Just as horrifying as her scream had been. The sound of death itself. And that was enough for me. I sprinted to the bedroom and threw on the first clothes I could reach. I frantically grabbed the rest of my things, and probably some of the hotels, and stuffed them into my luggage. I raced down the stairs, taking them three or four at a time. I flung my room key at Haskins' empty desk. I barreled through the door and into my car, standing on the accelerator until Wood Hollow Inn was well out of sight. But here's the thing. Even though I left the hotel, she hasn't left me. I drove nine of the last ten hours to Maine without using my rearview mirrors. Every time I risked a glance, there she was, with those pitch black eyes, smiling. Whenever I stopped for gas, there she'd be, standing behind the clerk, as if daring me to react, to acknowledge her in public. Now I'm lying here, in the guest room of my cousin's house, way too afraid to sleep. I can't see her, but I know she's here. Even though I've showered twice, I can smell chlorine. My cousins don't have a pool. (laughs) And that voice out in the hallway, (laughs) calling my name. I've never heard it before. My cousins went to bed hours ago. It's getting closer. Jason. I say, physics. It can explain so much. But sometimes there are things that physicists can't explain, which means it's time to go investigating. Especially when there's a unique kind of radiation in town. But in this tale, shared with us by author Preston Farlow, we learn that radiation can be dangerous in many ways, and not just the ways you'd expect. Performing this tale are Mike Delgadio, Danielle McRae, David Alt, and Mick Wingert. 
So pack up your science equipment and let's take a trip to Hartbrook. There's so much to discover there when you uncover the truth behind the Mysterons. We rolled through the small town of Hartbrook around 11 p.m. on a cloudy summer night. Boarded up storefronts and dead streetlights lined the sidewalks, with potholes covering the road. Sarah turned down the music as the three of us in the car tried to find anything that looked open. We stopped at an intersection and all turned to face each other. Fuck. I don't think we're going to find a place to stay here. Sarah nodded from behind the wheel. Yeah, this place looks like a ghost town. Patrick leaned in from the back seat. Oh, come on. Or maybe there's something on the other side of town. It'll take like two minutes to check. We can look. The car pushed forward and we neared a bend in the road. I saw a light coming from a couple of windows. Sarah also noticed and pulled into the building's parking lot. It was an old diner, with an interior that looked like it hadn't been updated since the 60s. We peered through the windows and saw nobody sitting at the tables or working behind the counter. It's probably closed. But Patrick had already begun stepping out of the car. I don't see a closed sign. Sarah stuck her head out the window. Dude, where are you going? In. I've been driving for five hours and I'm friggin' starving. Oh, shit. I got out of the car to follow him. Sarah fell in behind us. Patrick pressed open the front door and we stepped into the dining room, becoming bathed in dull fluorescent lights. Hello? Anybody here? A noise like clanging metal erupted from the back followed by footsteps ascending the stairs. A middle-aged man emerged behind the counter, looking a little out of breath. Oh, jeez. Sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't think I'd be seeing customers tonight. Ah, uh, it's no big deal. Uh, it's pretty late. Well, I'm sorry all the same. Are you folks looking for a bite to eat? If it wouldn't be too much trouble. No problem. Please, take a seat at the counter take a look at the menus. We each grabbed a stool and did just that. We all ordered the same burger dinner and in a few minutes the man emerged from the kitchen with our plates. He introduced himself as Malcolm while setting the food down in front of us. We dug in as he leaned his back against the wall and watched us. So, if you don't mind me asking, what are you folks doing in Hartbrook? We don't tend to get a lot of visitors around this time of year. Well, It's kind of a long story. I got some time. (laughs) Sarah and I shared a knowing glance, bracing ourselves for Patrick's spiel. Well, if you insist. So, um, the research is out of Balfin University, you know, um, about five hours south of here. Malcolm nodded. Well, we're all physicists, right? Specifically, we all work with radiation, like particles as they enter the atmosphere and all that. We've been doing this huge survey of everywhere in the state, and we started to notice something funny. 
around Hartbrook, and I'm talking like a 10-mile radius or so, we've been seeing this type of radiation that we haven't seen anywhere else. Something rare? <laughs> That's putting it mildly. The radiation we're picking up hasn't been detected anywhere else. Not on Earth, not in space, absolutely nowhere else. Malcolm's eyes widened in interest. Is that so? Mm-hmm. Yep, brand spanking new. We, at first, we thought the equipment was malfunctioning. But every time we recalibrated and checked the meters, we always got the same result. Turns out our equipment wasn't built to handle this kind of radiation, so we had to build new stuff from the ground up. So, should I be concerned about this? Do you know where the radiation is coming from? There shouldn't be any need for concern. This radiation doesn't resemble any of the more dangerous kinds, like Alpha or Gamma. From what we can tell, it looks like this radiation is a new type of elementary particle. We've been calling them Mysterons. Hmm. Catchy name. We thought so. So you folks are here then to survey the area for these uh, Mysterons? Yeah, more or less. The equipment back at Balfin can only get broad swaths of data, nothing at all precise. So we've got some new devices and wanted to do an on-the-ground survey, get a more accurate picture. We were actually hoping to find a place in the area to stay for the next couple of days. Malcolm stroked his chin. Oh, now that's a tricky one. Everything in the area is closed down, you know, being the off-season for tourists and all. But you might be able to find something in Alton, but that's about 40 miles away. Yeah, of course it is. We'll figure out something. I'm sure you will. I'm still trying to wrap my head around all this. Kind of frightening that something like this could be happening right under my nose and I don't even notice. Weird stuff happens all the time, mate. We're lucky to notice even half of it. Hmm. I suppose you're right. The conversation petered out from there, Malcolm having no interest in the nuances of particle detection. After another few minutes, we settled the check and walked back to the car. Malcolm disappeared into the back of the restaurant and shut off the lights as we left. Above us, only the moon and a few stray stars provided light. Well, shit. What do you guys think we should do now? I've got nothing. We could try that town he was talking about, Alton or whatever. Yeah, but that's probably going to be another hour on the road. We should at least check the radiation if we're here. Dude, it's almost midnight. Patrick was already reaching for the handheld meters in the back seat. Let's at least make sure they're calibrated right. He stepped back and flicked one of them on. The device let out a loud, high-pitched whirring noise, and the digital dial flashed red. Sarah and I clutched our ears before Patrick turned it off. Jesus Christ! What sensitivity do you have that set to? Oh, low. It, it's on the lowest setting. Maybe it's busted. Let's check the others real quick. We tried another two hand meters and got the same result. A piercing whistle and the dial going berserk. I fiddled with the knobs and soon got all three meters to relax, emitting small beeps about once every two seconds. They all read the same level of radiation, much higher than our estimates had been. God, this place must be bathed in Mr. Ron's. 
Well, I mean, if we're getting readings like this, it'd be irresponsible of us as scientists to not do a quick survey. Ugh, screw it. I'm actually pretty interested. Guess I'm in too. We each grabbed one of the meters and a walkie-talkie. After a quick flip of the coin, we split up. Patrick walked across the street, Sarah moved to the far side around the diner, and I made my way behind the building and into the woods. Using my phone as a flashlight, I pushed through the thick layers of branches and bushes, going until all I could see were pine needles and all I could hear were crickets. I flicked on my device. I radioed over the walkie-talkie. Hey guys, I think I'm back far enough. Good. Uh, what are you reading over there? Uh, it looks about the same as it was back in the parking lot. Maybe a little less? I'm reading about 30 detections a minute. Yeah, I'm hitching about 33 over here. Sarah, what are you getting? It's crazy over here. I'm getting like 250. Oh shit, really? Yeah, it's crazy. I think it suddenly shot up and... Hang on. Hey, Sarah, what's up? Nothing. It just started falling all of a sudden. Uh, hold on, I think I'm picking it back up. My count is 200 a minute and climbing. Do you think there's a cloud of radiation or something that's moving? I held my hand out in the air to feel for a breeze. I'm not feeling any wind or anything, but the trees might be blocking it. Are you guys feeling anything over there? Nothing here. Me neither. 530 now. I scratched my chin. We knew next to nothing about Mysterons, so we had no way of predicting their behavior. Maybe they didn't move like nuclear radiation, which could be caught in breezes and currents. We'd always treated them closer to muons or electrons, but there wasn't a distinct source where they seemed to be coming from. Jesus Christ, I just broke a thousand and it's not blowing down. One thousand? Thirteen hundred, fourteen hundred, sixteen hundred, two thousand. Hey Patrick, dude, is there something going on over there? This thing's barely keeping up. Fuck, do you see anything? Or, or like, feel something? I, I can't see... Six, six thousand... Something weird. Ten fucking thousand? Patrick, you're cutting out. We can't hear you. We kept the channel clear, waiting for a response. A second passed. Five seconds. Ten. I looked up, trying to see any of the town from the woods. The faint outline of the diner hung in the background, but all the details were obscured by branches and pine needles. Behind the diner, for only an instant, I saw a small flash of light. Patrick, do you copy? I'm seeing light coming from your area. Are you seeing it? This is weird. Sarah, I'm coming over. I'll meet you there. 
I put the walkie-talkie in my left pocket and the still-active meter in my right. The trees seemed to crowd around me as I marched back to the car. Every noise I heard in the forest took on a sinister tone, and I noticed how dark the sky looked. I hurried my pace, nearly tripping as I rushed past the tree line. From my side, I could hear Sarah walking back. We met by the car and looked at the spot where Patrick should have been. There wasn't enough light for us to see across the street, with clouds blocking the moon and stars and no nearby streetlights. Patrick? Patrick! Patrick! No response. With a nervous glance, Sarah and I began walking. We took out our phones and kept our lights facing in front of us. Across the road stood a small, two-story brick building with boarded-up windows and doors. As we crossed the street, Sarah suddenly fell from my side. Ah! Shit! Startled, I turned back and saw that she had tripped over a pothole. I turned my phone down to illuminate the hole. Are you alright? Yeah, I'm good. I just... Her gaze fell to the ground and I looked to see what caught her attention. Lying about five feet from the pothole was a walkie-talkie. I reached into my left pocket, pulling out my own. Hello? The sound hung in the air and a wave of unease washed over me. Sarah bent over to pick up the walkie-talkie while I knelt down to better examine the scene. The pothole seemed almost perfectly round, with no cracks or major irregularities. This felt curious but another detail drew my attention. Next to the pothole, nearly imperceptible in the dark conditions, was a small dark patch. I touched my fingers to it and recoiled. Wet, sticky, and warm. I held my fingertips to my phone's light and could see they now shone bright and crimson. Sarah peeked over my shoulder with a concerned look. I wiped my hand against the ground. This is fucked. Where the hell did he go? I'm... uh, I've got no clue. But I think we should stick close together. Yeah, that's a good idea. Should we wait by the car, or...? I think we should keep looking for a bit. I don't think this is a prank, but I also wouldn't put it past Patrick to see something and wander off without letting us know. I didn't believe the words as they came out of my mouth. Wandering off was one thing, but dropping his walkie-talkie and leaving a patch of blood? My stomach twisted into a pit of worry. The idea that someone or something had come and dragged him off plagued my thoughts. But I shook them off. He couldn't have gotten far, and if Sarah and I stuck together, then we would be fine. I saw her face dance through the same emotions I felt, settling on stern resolution. All right, let's look around. Just stay close, okay? Definitely. We turned our attention to the opposite ends of the street. I stared back the way we had come while Sarah looked out at the road behind us. On either side, there was nothing of particular interest. A few distant streetlights shone from my direction while nothing illuminated the path in front of Sarah. To my side, I saw an alley leading away from the main road we were on. I tapped Sarah on the back and signaled for her to follow me. Patrick! Patrick! As we turned down the corner of the alley, 
Only my echo responded. Undeterred, we pressed forward. My phone light swung back and forth, illuminating the path ahead of us. The alley was mostly empty, with the exception of two dumpsters brimming with trash. A foul stench of rot hung in the air, and I wondered how long it had been since they were emptied. We moved at a snail's pace, careful not to trip over anything. Sarah kept close, occasionally brushing up against my back. We called out Patrick's name several more times, but never heard a response. Soon we reached a split in the alley, leading either left or right. The left seemed to lead back to the road we had come from, but to the right... My light hung along the side of the building as I tried to make out some finer details. A small pile of what looked like bricks lay on the ground. The wall above this pile seemed to have a large, indistinguishable dark spot above it. I squinted and stepped forward, trying to get a better look. Is that a hole? Uh, yeah, actually, I think it is. I glanced back at her and saw she had a nervous expression. With a small sigh, I flicked my head in the direction of the hole. Come on, let's just check it out real quick. This might be what distracted Patrick. All right. We marched forward, keeping our lights trained on the hole. As we approached, I began seeing clearer details. It was about six or seven feet in diameter and perfectly round, and I mean perfectly The building was brick, and it looked as if each brick had been cut and smoothed with precision tooling. Only the top looked imperfect, with several loose bricks having fallen off and landing on the ground beneath. As we approached the hole, an odd thought occurred to me. The smell from the dumpsters kept getting worse the farther we got from them. We now stood in front of the hole. Our lights poked through, illuminating what looked like a small back room of the building. In front of the hole lay a large wooden desk with a perfectly sphere-shaped chunk taken out of its back half. There might have been other things in the room, but I can't remember. Immediately after seeing the desk, my eyes were drawn to the horrifying mess on the floor. A body, or something that could have been described as a body at one point. It lay in what I assume must have been a face-down position. I could see an arm a leg, and most of the head. It had no left side, like it had been cut right down its prime meridian. Organs and viscera sloughed onto the ground, festering and soaking into the wooden flooring. The few exposed bones we could see, underneath the rotting flesh, all had smooth cuts made along them, just like the wall in the desk. Jesus. Sarah's mouth hung ajar, She leaned forward and put her hand to her mouth, trying to suppress a gag. I held no such pretensions. Lurching backwards, I raced down the alley, getting as far from the gore and the smell as possible, before allowing myself to vomit. Tears started trickling down my face as I continued to hack and spit every bit of bile out of my body. Jesus. Jesus. Fuck. What the fuck was that? I turned, wiping some tears out of my eyes. She was still down the alley. I don't... I... I don't... I've I've got no clue. God almighty. What the fuck is this? How? Why? I don't fucking know. 
Sarah, was... Was that Patrick? She turned back for a split second. No. Those aren't Patrick's clothes. And it looks old. Like... It's been there for a few days. Okay. 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 We need to call, like, the cops or something. How do you explain something like this? Jesus. What is making that noise? Is that your meter? I reached into my side pocket and sure enough saw that it had begun to beep. Current was reading 75. Shit, I'm getting a super high reading over here. Check yours. Is now really the time? The readings spiked when Patrick went missing. This could be important. She pulled her own meter out and turned it on. I'm reading like 300 in this part of the alley. I glanced back at mine and saw I had just broken 100. It looks like it's a little higher for... No, now I'm getting like 800. It's spiking fast, just like it did with Patrick. Yeah, looks like I'm right behind you. Mine just hit 500. We both looked at each other, not knowing what to do. Steadily, my meter rose, breaking 1,000 count. A sense of dread swept over me, eclipsing my disgust and horror from the body. The hairs along my arm began to stand on end as I felt a subtle change in our atmosphere. Hey, my count started to slow down. It looks like it's starting to dip. Sarah gave her meter a quizzical look. I glanced back down at mine. Yeah, that's not happening for me. I'm over 2,000 now, and it looks like it's speeding up. 2,200, 2,500, 3,000. Hey, Mike. I think we should get out of here. Like, right now? The meter now read 4,000. Yeah, yeah, I think we should. I shoved the meter back in my pocket and began sprinting towards Sarah. She turned and ran ahead of me. The two of us bolted down the alley, trying to get back to the main road. Behind me, I heard a small crackling noise. Against every instinct I had, my head turned back to look. A blinding white light greeted me, completely consuming the area we'd just been in. Not looking at my path, I tripped, landing hard against the pavement. I laid there, in shock, staring into the bright void now consuming the alley. I heard Sarah yell at me, but I couldn't hear the words. The light shone brighter than anything I'd ever seen. A brilliant, white mass pushing back against the darkness of the night. All thoughts fled my mind, leaving behind only a sensation of awe and terror. I'd never seen anything like it. And beyond it all, beyond the shining, singular beauty of the light, I saw a shadow. Only a faint gray outline at first, but growing darker as I focused on it. It had no concrete shape, constantly shifting and moving in fluid motion. A central mass that fluctuated at its edges, with dozens of small tendrils curling and writhing around it. It looked alive. Soon the silhouette began pushing against the edges of the light. The tendrils would brush against the side, almost bursting free. Every synapse in my brain fired in terror, screaming at me to run. But my limbs refused to move. I could only lay there, waiting for the shadow to break free and take me. And in an instant, it was gone. I laid there on the ground, mouth ajar, as Sarah screamed to get my attention. I turned towards her, sensing a look of wild terror on her face. 
Did, did you see it too? The light and the shadow? I... 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 I don't know what I saw. We both stared at each other for a moment, unable to put to words what we saw or how we felt. The mix of wonder and fear so intertwined. You feel as though it's a whole new emotion. Unable to stand the eye contact any longer, I stood up and turned in the other direction. Where the light had once consumed the alley now stood a large crater. Perfectly smooth, just like the pothole by the walkie-talkie and the hole in the building. I think I know what's causing these holes. Sarah stepped up beside me and nodded. Yeah. How has this not been on the news? How have people not noticed the holes and the lights and... The dead body airing out through a giant hole in the wall? Yeah. Somebody definitely should have seen this. Someone should have... Wait a minute. I gave Sarah a quizzical look. Yeah? These holes are clearly caused by whatever that light thing is. And that seems to show up when there's a critical mass of misterons. Uh-huh. Well, think about how we've been detecting the misterons. They start out fairly strong in one area, before shifting to another and becoming stronger. Yeah? Well, that would imply that they would be coming from a source, right? I stopped and thought about this for a second. I mean, yeah, that would make sense. So then let's trace back the source. Over here I got the radiation first, before it moved towards where you were standing. She traced a straight path with her finger, soon pointing back where we had come from. And from earlier, the source started with me again, and moved to where Patrick was standing. Okay. So, if those are the two paths it took, then that means it came from... probably around the diner. Yeah, a.k.a. the one place in town where we've seen a living person. It took me a moment to grasp what she was getting at. You think that the guy back at the diner... There's no way he's been living and working here and is oblivious to what's happening. But what about everyone else in town? What everyone else... The corpse over there? The absolutely no one else we've seen here? No cars on the road? No lights on in any houses? This place is goddamn deserted. But how could... This place is a whole town. There's no way. Who the fuck knows about Hartbrook? Had you even heard of it before it showed up on our readings? This place probably didn't have a triple-digit population before all of this. If there's a place where something weird is happening, and nobody in the outside world notices, this is the place. I swallowed hard and tried to think of a rational response. The cops. We just need to call the cops and... Sarah flashed her phone at me. There's no signal anywhere in this town. I tried checking some email when we were eating and couldn't find any sort of signal or active Wi-Fi. Fuck. Fuck. Fuck! Okay, then what? What do you think we should do? I think there's something up that we aren't seeing. 
And there's only one place I think we can get answers. Either way, I'm not leaving town until we know where Patrick is. One way or another. Her words hung in the air as both of us wrestled with the implication. I swallowed hard before replying. All right, let's do this then. With a firm nod, we strode out of the alley and back to the main road. Across from us, bathed in the thinnest possible light of the moon, stood the diner. I felt my palms grow slick with sweat, suddenly terrified at the thought of getting too close. Sarah felt differently, striding across the street towards the front door as I followed close behind. She grabbed the handle on the door and paused for a moment. After exhaling a deep sigh, she twisted it only to find it wouldn't budge. The confident facade fell from her face, and I could see a growing distress in her eyes. My eyes flicked around the parking lot, falling on a large stone to the side of our parked car. I grabbed it, assessing the size in my hand. Sarah backed away from the door as I lifted the stone above my head and brought it down on the handle. It fell from the door with a loud clang, taking the lock with it. We both cringed at the noise, but after a moment to hear if anything responded, we felt confident to proceed. I opened the door and ushered Sarah inside. She pressed her finger to her lips, and I took extra care to watch where and how I stepped. The diner was silent and dark. I stepped around the front counter, keeping the stone from the parking lot in a tight grip. Sarah moved behind me, constantly looking back to make sure we were alone. Once we made it into the back, I started hearing a noise. My ears strained to find its location, but I soon realized it was coming from the back door in the kitchen. I moved to the back of the kitchen, stepping to one side of the door as Sarah flanked the other. She placed her hand on the knob and twisted slowly. The door opened without a sound, revealing a set of stairs leading down. It took my first step, careful to move slow and avoiding any creaking. The basement was poorly lit, the only source of light coming from a far corner blocked by a wall. I crept down the stairs, my eyes fixed on this light as Sarah followed behind me. Eventually, I could see past the wall and into the basement proper. Below the light source, I saw Malcolm turned away from us, hunched over a small workbench and scribbling into a notebook. He seemed completely distracted by his work. Adjacent to him was a large, complex machine reaching almost to the ceiling. Dials, switches, and meters adorned the side of this machine as loose wires hung around it in every direction. I squinted, trying to discern anything about what it was or how it functioned. It didn't look like any type of machinery I'd ever seen before. Clearly the result of months, possibly years, of tinkering and sloppy redesigns. Sarah poked her head around the corner, taking in the sight of the machine. We again shared a look, but neither of us knew what to do. I glanced across the room and noticed a stack of large binders in the corner. Sarah noticed it too, and before I could stop her, she'd slipped past me and started towards the stack. I watched in suspense as she snuck across the room, while Malcolm continued to write away at his bench. She reached the stack, grabbing one of the books, only to have two others fall from an adjacent stack and hit the floor with a loud thump. Malcolm bolted upright and turned to face the two of us. The shocked look on his face quickly gave way to pure, unfiltered rage. Ah! Out! Out! It's not ready! Out! 
He reached blindly at his desk, grabbing a wrench and hurling it at Sarah. She ducked low and dropped the binders. The wrench missed by inches. Without hesitation, she sprinted back to the stairs. Malcolm continued to roar at us, throwing every object he could reach. His notebook, a coffee mug, a hammer. I shoved Sarah behind the wall and dove out into the open. As he struggled to find something new to throw, I cocked my arm back and sent the stone hurtling towards his head. He reacted fast, leaping out of the way and letting it crash into a control panel on the machine. Several lights switched colors as it let out a high-pitched whirring noise. Malcolm rushed to the machine in a panic, frantically flipping random switches and screaming obscenities. Sarah stepped up behind me, still in a state of shock. We just stood there, unsure what to do. I suddenly realized that the meter in my back pocket had started going off like it had in the alley. Before I could grab it, I saw Malcolm turn to us with a look of deep hatred. You fucking ruined it! Years! I spent years on this! And you fucking ruined it! He sprinted at us. I braced my feet, ready to fight. But instead, he shoved past us, grabbing his notebook off the floor and rounding the stairs. I turned back as he left, caught off guard by his exit. A second passed before his panic, the machine's death rattles, and my beeping meter all clicked in my head. Without saying a word, Sarah and I made a mad dash for the stairs. As we reached the top, I heard the back door of the building slam shut. We didn't bother giving chase, instead rushing towards our car. The meter in my back pocket continued to beep faster and faster no matter how far we got from the basement. As we flew out of the restaurant, I whipped open the passenger door while Sarah went for the driver's seat. She twisted the ignition and peeled out of the parking lot faster than I could catch my breath. We raced down the road we'd come in on, not bothering to dodge the potholes this time. The meter screamed faster as we drove. I pulled it out of my pocket and saw the digital display being covered in flashing nines, unable to count higher. Turning backwards in my seat, I looked back along the road. We'd just passed the small downtown when I saw the first flash of light. Small and distant initially, like lightning being obscured by clouds. The second flash was larger, followed by a third, then a fourth. In rapid succession, the lights consumed the town, swallowing buildings and roads as they did. The flashes all converged, forming an impossibly large dome stretching outwards towards us. 300 feet from us. 250 feet. 150 feet. I turned to Sarah in panic. Her eyes locked on the road ahead. Her foot was pressed hard against the pedal, and I could see her hands in a death grip on the wheel, trying to will the car faster. The light now consumed everything behind us, leaving no traces of the town or surrounding woods. Only a bright, impossible void. The car struck a large pothole. My chest dug into the seatbelt as the airbag slammed into my face and hands. A blinding pain shot through my arms and torso as loud ringing bored into my ears. I pushed up from the airbag and saw that we had come to a complete stop. Sarah was face first in her own airbag, screaming something I couldn't hear over the ringing. Dazed, I removed my seatbelt and reached for the door handle. Pressing all of my weight against it, I managed to push it open, falling to the ground outside. I struggled to my knees, now aware that I had broken several ribs and fingers. The ringing in my ears started to fade, and I heard Sarah likewise collapse out of the driver's side. This wasn't the only noise, however. My eyes were trained on the ground, but in front of me I could hear a low, ominous rumble coming from where we'd been. 
Taking one final breath to collect myself, I lifted my head and looked into the light. A solid wall of light stood in front of me, stretching farther than I could ever hope to see. The same brilliant horizon of white that I had seen in the alley. And with the light came the silhouette. It now stretched to over 500 feet tall, and I still felt as though I could only see a fraction. Just as it had before, the silhouette appeared to be as a mass of writhing tendrils, all stretching and twisting around one large central body. There were more parts to it than I could count, each one moving in such a specific and deliberate pattern as if guided by thousands of different minds. I couldn't follow all of them. Only one stood out from the rest, closer to me than the others, with its tip constantly pointed in my direction, while the rest of it coiled and shifted from behind. The tip grew larger, and I soon realized that the shape was moving towards us. As it did, the rumbling grew louder. I couldn't tell if it was enormous and far away or only inches from my face. I closed my eyes and hugged my chest, bracing helplessly for whatever would come. Seconds passed, and nothing happened. I refused to open my eyes, unwilling to face whatever it was in this void. Several more seconds passed, and I realized that the rumbling had stopped. Finally, with much trepidation, I opened my eyes. Instead of bright light, darkness greeted me. Pure, unwavering darkness. I blinked several times, slowly adjusting to my surroundings. In front of me was a crater, beginning only a few feet from our car, but stretching back for miles. Every part of Hartbrook had been consumed, leaving only this impossibly large hole where it had once stood. Sarah stumbled over and I helped steady her. We leaned against the car in silence for a good, long while, trying our best to compose ourselves. After a few minutes, a thought occurred to me. I reached into my pocket, wincing at the pain in my hand, and pulled out my meter. It read, zero. It's read zero for the past several months. Sarah and I would eventually make it back to Balfin University, scarred but alive. We've spent the past several months searching the crater around Hartbrook, looking for any traces of Malcolm or Mr. Ron's. So far, we found nothing. Quite frankly, I'd be happy if it stayed that way. I've learned that not knowing what's out there isn't the worst thing there is. Knowing just enough, but not everything, is a far worse torture.
In our final tale, it's time to put on our best costumes for an early Halloween party. We join a young woman who's ready for some fearsome festivities at the Sigma Alpha Epsilon frat house for their annual Sawin Soiree. But in this tale, shared with us by author Caroline Diorio, we discover that this party might have a gatecrasher. A very dead gatecrasher. Performing this tale are Nicole Goodnight, Atticus Jackson, and Graham Rowett. So when you're choosing a costume, maybe you'll want to dress as a Ghostbuster. At least that way you might stand a chance if you come up against the Farwood Phantom. I wasn't sure Sigma Alpha Epsilon would be having their annual Halloween party after what happened last year. As I made my way through the throngs of costume students milling around campus, however, the throbbing bass echoing from the direction of the frat house answered my question for me. The party was already in full swing when I arrived. A girl dressed as Princess Leia collapsed in front of me as I made my way up the front steps, vomiting a bright green deluge onto the pavement. I stepped around her and went inside. The house was packed with co-eds, from the knot of dancers in the living area to the slightly quieter guests clustered around the snack table. There seemed to be even more people in attendance than there had been last Halloween, as hard as it was to believe. I hadn't been here in so long, in what felt like a lifetime, but the place hadn't changed at all. I was suddenly awash in memories, coming here with my roommate and her friends freshman year, laughing and dancing until our feet ached. I'd been so happy then. So hopeful. So what are you supposed to be? The voice startled me out of my reverie, and I quickly turned around. There he was, all six feet and change of him, as handsome and hazel-eyed as the day I first laid eyes on him in Biology 101 last August. Nikolai Wilder. My hands flew reflexively to the burlap bag over my head, ensuring that it still securely covered my face. I barely had time to poke holes in it for my eyes before coming here. He cocked his head and smiled. Hello? Anyone home? Sorry, I'm one of the undead from Necromancer Rise of the Nephilim. You know, that goofy old action movie from like 2001. I didn't have time to paint my face up, so I'm a masked zombie tonight. I laughed and did a little spin so he could see all of my costume. My dull gray skin, my blackened nails, the dirt-covered rags from what used to be the blue dress I wore to church in high school. I'd gotten a couple of wide-eyed inquiries from a few visual arts majors about how I'd managed to do the special effects makeup on my arms and legs, but there hadn't been much to tell. It was an easy costume. Very easy, in fact. You kidding? I love that movie. I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid. Behind my mask, I smiled. To the best of my knowledge, there was no movie entitled Necromancer Rise of the Nephilim. And what's yours? He glanced down at his crisp suit, at the little name tag on his lapel that read, I'm sorry. I'm a formal apology. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Thanks. My name's Nikolai, by the way. Nice, I'm Sarah. Have we had a class together this semester? Your voice sounds kind of familiar. I don't think so. I definitely would have remembered seeing you. Nikolai grinned, his gap-toothed smile glinting in the dim light. Well, maybe you could take your mask off. 
want to see if you're as cute as you sound. Shit. Oh, I, I, um... Hey, Nick, we're going over to Joey's. You in? I turned and saw a short, stocky guy in a red T-shirt. Except for the Jason Voorhees mask perched atop his egg-shaped head, he didn't appear to be wearing a costume. You're leaving already, Vince? Vince rolled his eyes. Yeah, of course. It's only 11 and this place has already borne me to tears. You coming or what? Nikolai looked at Vince and then down at me. For a second, I thought he would leave with him, but then he shook his head. Actually, I think I'm going to stay a little longer. He winked at me then, and relief washed through me. I hadn't come for nothing after all. Vince shrugged and turned to leave. Suit yourself. Don't let the Farwood Phantom get you. The Farwood Phantom? What's that? Nikolai waved his hand dismissively. Nah, it's just Vince's name for the ghost he supposedly caught on camera last night outside our dorm. A ghost? Nikolai laughed and pulled his phone out of his pocket. He turned the screen towards me. Yeah, a big scary ghost. The video looked as if it had been filmed with a root vegetable. Through the gray fuzz on the screen, I could just make out the outline of the shrubs outside Poteet, one of the main residence halls. Suddenly, the leaves rustled, as if disturbed by an animal moving around in the branches. And then... Right there. Nikolai paused the video and pointed at something in the top right corner. There's the Farwood Phantom. I peered closely at the screen and suppressed a laugh. The ghost in question was a gray smear that looked quite a bit like just another clump of night video fuzz. It vaguely resembled the shape of a woman with long hair if you squinted and closed one eye while you were at it. That's terrifying. You should call BuzzFeed Unsolved. I know, right? Nikolai laughed as he put his phone away. <laughs> scared the shit out of Vince, though. He's convinced it's the ghost of that uh, freshman they found in the river last year. You know that one, right? I nodded. Oh, I knew about the girl in the river. Everyone in a 50-mile radius did. She'd been found the morning after Halloween, half submerged in the woods five miles from Farwood's campus. Her throat had been slashed, but she'd been in the water too long for the police to recover any DNA evidence. Those who knew her said that hours before her death, she'd been seen here, at this house. The media firestorm had been swift and immediate, but it had died down eventually, as media firestorms do, and life soon went back to normal. Everyone agreed that it had been sad, of course, but the girl had been drinking, and she'd walked home alone. It was the kind of horrible tragedy that happened to nameless, faceless girls. Friends of friends of friends who'd been too naive and too careless for their own good. I doubt most of the students here even remembered her name. That's so sad what happened to her, don't you think? Oh yeah, of course. Speaking of which, did you come here alone? I don't want you to have to walk back to the dorms by yourself if you can avoid it. I did, yeah. I'm probably gonna head out soon, but... You don't have to come with me if you don't want to. Hey, it's no problem at all. Nikolai's eyes suddenly widened, and he smiled as if he'd just gotten a brilliant idea. How about this? I'm actually getting kind of hungry, so if you want to come with me to Taco Bell, I can drop you off at your place afterwards. It'd be my treat. Really? Of course. Besides, I figured the car ride will give us some time to talk in peace and quiet. Not that the company here isn't stellar, of course. 
He glanced pointedly at two beefy fraternity members over near the coolers, both in football jerseys who were apparently locked into an Olympic-caliber belching contest. <sighs> that sounds like a plan to me. Great. Let's get out of here. I started to follow him out the front door, but something made me pause. I turned around and saw two girls dancing together at the edge of the crowd, one dressed as Morticia Adams, the other dressed as Ray from Star Wars. They were wildly offbeat, but they were clearly having the time of their lives, laughing and talking as they spun around each other. I didn't believe in any god. Not then, not now, but I prayed to whatever was listening that they would make it home safe and sound, along with every other girl in this house. Hey, Sarah, you still coming? I closed the door behind me and stepped out into the night. For all his talk of being able to chat in peace and quiet, Nikolai had been virtually silent from the moment I shut the passenger door. The Taco Bell we were supposedly going to was just a mile or two away from campus, but we'd been driving on a darkened black road for almost 20 minutes now. Are you taking a shortcut? Nikolai looked at me then and smiled. His eyes looked so different than they had at the party. Flat and round and hungry, like those of a shark. Yeah, a shortcut. I didn't talk to him after that. I just stared out the window up at the fat orange harvest moon that watched us like a voyeur. When the car finally came to a stop, we were in a small wooded clearing. Even in the dark, I knew the place. Nikolai turned off the car and smiled at me. Why did you bring me here? Nikolai reached over and stroked my arm. Through the thin material of my sleeve, his hand was feverishly warm. Like I said, I want to get to know you. His voice was soft, gentle, like a babysitter trying to get an obstinate four-year-old to eat her dinner. Why don't you take your mask off? I just stared straight out the windshield. What if I don't want to? Nikolai reached over and locked the doors. Take your mask off, or I will. I looked at him for a second, not saying anything. Then I leaned over towards him so that the edge of the burlap bag dangled a little. You can take it off for me, if you'd like. Now was that so hard? He reached over and began to lift the bag off. Just relax, alright? As long as you don't freak out, I promise I'll... (laughs) The words died in his throat when he saw my face. For a moment, he just stared at me, his face a pale mask of terror. Oh, what's the matter, Nikolai? Am I not as pretty as I was last year? Nikolai frantically grabbed for the handle of his door, but fear made him clumsy. When he fumbled with the lock, I reached over and clamped my hand over his right kneecap. I was stronger in death than I had ever been in life, and I felt the bones crunch beneath my fingertips, as delicate and fragile as eggshells. The scream that tore its way out of Nikolai's throat didn't even sound human. He finally managed to open the door and he fell out of the car, scrambling backwards with his hands and one good leg. Someone help! Please! I smiled. We are far enough away from the town that there wouldn't be anyone to hear us for miles around. He'd made sure of that. I opened the passenger door and walked calmly around the car. Nikolai had only managed to crawl a few yards away by now. He reached into his pocket and whipped out a pocket knife, the blade of which glinted in the dim light of the moon. Stay back. I'm warning you. I slowly walked towards him. When we were less than an arm's length apart, I crouched down, laid my hand over the knife in his hands, and slowly pushed it down. 
For a moment, I just let him look at me, at my sunken cheeks, at my empty eye sockets, at the torn flesh of my throat, now brittle and curled as dead leaves. Nikolai, do I look like someone who bleeds to you? He began to cry then, so pathetically it almost made me feel sorry for him. <laughs> almost. It had been raining the night I was murdered. I'd come to the party with my friends, but I'd stayed longer than them because I wasn't finished dancing yet. The light drizzle that had started when I had arrived had become a downpour by the time I'd left. And it was cold. So numbingly cold. When I was about halfway back to my dorm, Nikolai had pulled up beside me in his car and offered me a ride. I should have ignored him and kept walking. I see that now. I saw that then. But any apprehension was drowned out by the promise of getting out of the rain and into a warm, dry car with the guy I'd had a crush on since the beginning of the semester. But maybe it wouldn't have been enough to refuse his offer. Maybe, even if I had said no, he would have gotten out and dragged me into the car with him. Or maybe he would have just moved on to another girl. One more trusting. And that's why I came back. Why I clawed my way out of the grave on the anniversary of my death. Call it the power of Halloween. Call it a spirit who couldn't rest. Call it whatever the hell you want. All I knew was that I couldn't let Nikolai do to another girl what he'd done to me. When Nikolai's sobs had turned into dry, broken heaves, I cupped his chin in my hand and forced him to meet my eyes. Why? I don't know. Okay. I panicked. I knew you would tell if I let you go. I'm sorry. You have to know that I'm sorry. I've thought about it every single night for the past year. I can't eat. I can't sleep. I feel so guilty. I can't breathe with it. I'd do anything to go back in time and take it back. You have to believe me. That was such a load of horseshit that I almost burst into laughter. Guilty my half-decayed ass. If I really had been Sarah, just another normal girl at a normal Halloween party, I'd probably already be gasping my last in the back of Nikolai's car. But I was tired of his blubbering. Oh, I believe you, but you understand why I can't let you go, don't you? Nikolai let out a deep, shuddering breath. Then finally he nodded. Just... Just make it quick, okay? I know I don't deserve it. But please, Eliza, I'm begging you. Eliza. My real name seemed so foreign coming from him. Until it had been splashed across the headlines, I doubt he'd even known what it was. I reached forward and rested my hand on his chest, felt his beating heart beneath my fingertips. You took your time. And so will I. I was the only one around to hear him scream.
Thank you for joining us on our journey down the Lost Highway. The musical score was composed by Brandon Boone. Our production team is Phil Mykolski, Jeff Clement, and Jesse Cornett. Our creative content manager is Olivia White. I'm your host and executive producer, David Cummings. Please visit thenosleeppodcast.com for show notes and more details about the people who bring you this show. On behalf of everyone at the No Sleep Podcast, we thank you for listening and for being a supportive Season Pass member. As the darkness fades, it feels like you're going to dream This audio production is copyright 2020 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. The copyrights for each story are held by the respective authors. No duplication or reproduction of this audio program is permitted without the written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc.